feels strange. We're spinning off the planet. We don't know where we're going. That's the thing. I never knew where I was going. It's like I've been living this for a long time. And now, everyone is catching up with me. This is noisy. Hold on, hold on one sec. God damn it. Jesus, how do you shut this shit off? Oh, thank God. Some noisy shit. Oh, fuck, I'm so... <laughs> anyway, I, I get grumpy at my own music sometimes. Um, by the way, if you haven't listened to uh, The Downward Spiral, the album, sure, you might have heard it. Um, go check it out. It's kind of like a concept album, kind of like the Pink Floyd's Wall, or I guess Dark Side of the Moon or something. But yeah, the protagonist in this in this album basically, after years of suffering psychological trauma and abuse, is spiraling down this the depths of hell because of his, his alter ego and. Uh, inner demons and self-hatred or depravity and hatred for everything uh, down this uh, downward spiral until finally he contemplates suicide and I believe he does kill himself and uh, yeah it, it's a great album so check it out um, you know I definitely can relate uh, you know a lot of the I don't know themes of anti-establishment, anti-religion, yeah, and hatred of society. Yeah, I align pretty pretty well with those. But um, you know, dark dark themes aside, uh, what's up, you guys? This is me. You know, it's been really nice to record these at my own pace. Lately, it's just been kind of a weird uh time in my life. I mean. 
for everybody, but shit, for me, I definitely, I feel like this is a weird, weird, different period of me existing, so, uh, I'm, yeah, am I on my downer spiral? Yeah, not yet, I'm alive, I guess, <laughs> or this is a simulation, but, uh, you know, who knows, maybe that downward spiral in my life is soon to come, we'll see, I think everyone is subjectable to going through enough horrible events in their life where they too would probably be in the same situation, but I've yet to be there, I'm trying to remain optimistic, but why is it weird for me? Well, right now, uh, today is technically my my birthday, so... Uh, Happy birthday! Yes, yes. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. Uh, oh, shit. Okay, it's a party up in here. Uh, Alright. Yeah, um... Reality check, my... My opinions of birthdays are pretty horrible. I kind of hate and despise birthdays. So, and reason being is, you know, I guess people on, you know, on New Year's, they, I don't know, people kind of idolize this, this like self-reflection at the end of the year and like New Year's resolutions and like next year I got, I'm going to do this and I'm going to learn to row a boat, or I'm going to improve, and they make all these these goals, I guess, but they just, they masquerade them as New Year's resolutions, and then, you know, 80% of the people who do that shit don't do shit th that they said they were going to do. I had so, so many fucking times, I've even seen on my Facebook memories or some dumb shit, it's like, <laughs> I'm in the depths of fucking being high on drugs, and... I've posted, oh, you know, this year I'm going to do this. I'm going to just work on myself and blah, blah, I was like, dude, I, I fucking did horrible. I got way worse of at being a junkie. I was way worse than my drug addiction in the years to come. I don't know why. And then I look at these posts and I'm like, God, I was such a naive fucking dumb fucking loser to, I hate fucking New Year's resolutions. And, you know, at the end of the year, I, I don't re really reflect like that as most people do. I do that on my birthday because I, was a, I think from the year I was born till my next birthday, that's a, a whole year to me, I guess, is the way I look at it. And then that's the year on my birthday I self-reflect and I look at, okay, this is what happened in the last year of my life and that was shitty. I don't, I don't look at fucking the whole year that's passed as like, oh, I, I, I did this and I need to work on this next year. I need to do this. I look at it like, or I have been known to like reflect on my last year and then be like, oh, all this fucked up shit happened and all this fuck shit happened. And that was horrible. And I did all this dumb shit and made horrible mistakes and I'm then I, I get really shitty on myself and think oh well, I'm a fucking dumb fuck and this or that it's like I'm like my own like critical like parental figure like what the fuck is wrong with you get your shit together and then um, so on and so forth so 
think birthdays are fucking lame. But if you want, you can message me or something and wish me a happy birthday. I mean, I would like that. I am really shitty at checking messages and doing this and that because of all this fucking crazy shit going on with my life that I don't even want to get into. But if you want to do something really special for my birthday, uh, you could give me an iTunes review. I'd really fucking love some iTunes reviews. And that's all I got to say. So with that, you know, I thought I would release an episode on my birthday. And, you know, every time I gear up for one of these, I think about a, you know, certain theme or a group or a clusterfuck of stories around a certain period of my life that I guess has a certain theme or kind of tie in together. And then I'll think of a bunch of fucking stories. Um, And the next few stories on maybe this episode and maybe even the next episode, they were really, really uh, dark. Nah, like not fun (laughs) drug stories. And I laugh because it's awkward, but... um, And I kind of cringe because these stories aren't, like, glamorous in any way. These are, like, I don't know. These kind of stories that I've always hesitated to tell for so many different, like, fucking reasons. Um, I mean, first of all, I think the biggest challenge overall is the, the legality of a lot of these stories. It's... You know, I do my best to what, change the names or censor names and, you know, change things around and wait till statute of limitations. But some of the most or the, I don't know, the rawest stories are the stories that I can't tell, mainly because they involve people or criminal groups, I would say, that really don't want that information out. And I would rather not put that information out there because I don't know safety reasons I'll let's just put it at that let's just leave it at that um so some of the darkest stories I don't even want to want to tell on here I mean a lot another reason is uh some of the craziest stories are pretty fucking traumatic I've I mean the ones I haven't shared they're some of them have affected me emotionally or mentally for the long term, you know, um, which is a reason why I, has, uh, you know, just hesit- hesitate to talk about that shit. I mean, it, it fucking brings back like shitty memories of, of shitty things and witnessing things that uh, just affect how I interact with the world around me. For probably the rest of my life. Um, You know. I mean one another reason. (laughs) Not the biggest reason. But uh, a lot of that shit. uh, Some of these stories. They make me look really. Like bad. Like a terrible fucking person. And look. You know a lot of the stories I've shared. They don't reflect. Me as making the best decisions. Or being the best person. Uh. But I was fucking strung out on shit, tons of drugs, so I wasn't really thinking in my right mind. And I've worked on bettering myself, so I do the best I can. But yeah, some of these things are 
just some of these stories, they just they they don't don't make me look good or they don't like make a lot of people look good who are in the stories and wouldn't want that information out there. And yeah, some of my like the worst, like one of the stories I ever recorded back in the day was like the worst thing I've ever done. All right. And I still haven't released that episode. Um, I mean, I obviously, I mean, yeah, I haven't done a horribly atrocious things that would make me infamous amongst society. Like I have, I don't, I haven't like beaten some, like I haven't, you know, like physically harmed. I've gotten in fights and defended myself against people trying to kill me, but I haven't like, you know, done shitty things, you know, like sexual harassment or, you know, domestic violence or you know, shit like that. Like you would look at someone like for a long time, like, oh, he's a piece of shit. He grooms underage girls or whatever, whatever the fuck people get exposed for. That's really shitty. I haven't done shit like that, but I've done shit that I'm not proud of that. I've, you know, I hold shame for and, you know, you know, shit like, I don't know. There's you know been times where you you go score heroin off off a plug in the city, and you're waiting there at the house at some trap house, and while you're waiting for your sack, like a dude's fighting with his girlfriend with a gun in his fucking, you know, he got a gun on his waist, and he's like fucking smacking his fucking girlfriend, yelling at her. And you're dope sick waiting for it. I'm not, I don't laugh because I don't think that's funny. It's just, it's just so fucking crazy. It's just like, you know, you're dope sick waiting for a sack. And there's been times where I'm like, dude, just, what the fuck? Like, calm the fuck down. And then, yeah, you get the shit kicked out of you or you don't get your sack or what, you know, just crazy shit like that. Dark, you know, dark shit. Um, ooh. And I don't know, another reason is like that I don't like revealing my darkest stories is, you know, like there's family members that I know listen to this fucking podcast. And so I like opening up about crazy shit I've experienced, but at the same time, like I, there's certain people in my family that I would really not want to hear these things, even if they, even if they don't necessarily make me, you know, look horrible, just to, I don't want them to know things that I've been through just for them to like worry about me or this or that. It's just like, oh, that's the last thing I fucking need. It's like, I'm all, for the most part, I'm okay dealing with things the best I can. But, you know, like, I don't know. And yeah, there's a lot of shit that I'm not proud of or I'm ashamed of. Like, uh, fuck, I don't know. Like, when I got kicked out of my DUI clo- my DUI class because I was strung out. I had relapsed and I got strung out the whole night before. I'd been up all night and they kicked me out because they knew I was high. And I'm like driving home in like psychosis because I've been up for five days. And I'm telling people on fucking my phone I'm like going to kill myself. And I'm trying to drive home on a back road going like 15 miles over the speed. limit, going like 80 on like a 55 like back road almost crashing into a ditch because I can barely drive because I've been up for so long, like crazy shit like that. Or, you know, like there's been times when uh, there's this one time I fucking was shooting up goofballs on a bender for 
who knows? Because like time goes by so weird when you're fucking high for that long. But like, you know, um, uh, getting high on goofballs for so long and then getting like, like a crazy, not a, not necessarily an abscess, but like getting like a, a pimple on your shoulder, or your arm, and then it pops all fucking, it's just pops this toxic pus of drugs and it scabs. And then like every time you shoot up more fucking like drugs, like it just oozes out of this fucking hole in your arm. That's like, it's weird. Like, I don't know, staph infection. And so then you're like, Oh, I got to pick the scab. I and mean, it's like, you're tearing off pieces of your flesh. And then you've been up all night and you look at your arm and there's blood just running, running all the way down it. And there's blood on the floor and blood on the ceiling Ugh, this is crazy dark shit. I don't know. Not This is like, it's hard to really get into those stories, I guess, because before it's like we reminisce and we laugh like, oh, that was so crazy. But then, you know, there's a lot of fucking dark, shitty times being on fucking or at least shooting up fucking drugs and uh, reflecting on all that. It made me look at war stories in a whole new light, like. In 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 this weird sense of things, like I look at it now, like war stories are almost really fucking stupid, because the best ones, you know, I can't I'm he, like really hesitant to release them because of all the reasons I've talked about, and the ones I can release are so much more safe and so much more tame that they're kind of just weak little shit like pussy ass stories you know sorry my french for cussing or whatever but yeah they're just not that good and then i don't know hold on i i need to rant i'm gonna rant for one second i'm sorry just gotta vape and so the thing that made me really come to this conclusion like that this it's not even that this podcast but just like Drug stories are kind of just sometimes when I think of it, I'm like that they're they if they're not packaged correctly, they kind of sound just fucking lame, just stupid, like loser shit. And uh, I don't know, they I guess what made me come to that conclusion, I came up across like a YouTube channel. <laughs> oh my god, I'm not gonna say the name of this channel because I'm not gonna like sling hate directly at this individual or send I'm not going to want I don't want people going over there and saying oh you fuck you I've <laughs> this idiot from this podcast says you're fucking dumb shit but it's like yeah it's a YouTube channel and it was like drug stories and I still was like alright I'll listen to this shit I guess so I listened to it and it's these stories fucking suck <laughs> I'm sorry to talk shit, but it's like, it's like, it's, it's like clickbait bullshit with these titles and these thumbnails that make it look so much more epic than it was. And then you listen to this 10 minute piece of shit that it was like, yeah, I got, I did shrooms with my friend and these two girls and we thought we saw a park ranger and we ran away, but, but they elongate this and they put so much detail into the story. It becomes 10 minutes, but it's just like, yeah, that's what happened. It's a shit story. And then all, you realize all these stories this guy tells are pretty much like that. It's fucking just lame-ass fucking bunk shit that's just like, you think these drug stories are, you're fucking little, fucking fuck you, little chump. 
Like he, I, I listen, I watched one more video and he fucking tells a story about being in rehab where they give you a fucking allowance where it's like, what the, f- I, what rehab is that where you get an allowance for being there? I've never, I've never seen this rehab like where I get an allowance. I I've seen Salvation Army and shit like that where you work 12 hours a day and then you, f- you read a Bible and go to some meetings, but it's like allowance and he said that him and his roommates saved up their allowance and they bought so, so someone's gabapentin and they they split two gabapentin amongst three people and they got high and then it's like a clickbait ass title like yeah, getting doing drugs in rehab and it's like you you but you, you fucking gabapentin you just, two gabapentin oh my god and, and me listening to this it's like these are not the drug stories that I don't. I think people want to listen to. Like when I think of drug stories, it was like, oh, the time you know I went on a college campus and or went somewhere and someone had a really expensive bike and I clipped the lock on it, stole it, and was running away from like campus security while I'm dope sick trying to get this bike to someone's house who will give me money or heroin. I could just trade it, you know, like sweating bullets. Like running away from fucking campus security on a fucking five thousand dollar bike, like that's for for heroin. It has to be for drugs you inject. It's like those are crazy stories, or going to crazy shit you see in jail. Like I don't know. Like these. I'm sorry, this gets me flustered, but it's like, dude, the the stories I see. First of all, YouTube is kind of like a platform for children. Let's not kid ourselves. So many fucking dumb shit, like wannabe Nickelodeon, like bullshit channels that just make garbage for kids. And this is like, this is like the most, it's, it's basically the same thing. It's like drug stories for fucking 11 year olds that think like they know about trap houses and shit. It's like, you don't know shit. It's like most drug stories or most drug experiences, they, at least I don't know about you, but for my part, they come with a good package of trauma and shitty situations where like, you know, you were trying to just have fun and then you got too deep, got, eh, you know, introduced to the wrong crowd and met someone who's in the, the drug world that's just so fucking dark. He exposes you to some shit that you didn't want to see, or you, you get exposed to some shit being with drug addicts that you definitely didn't want to see. That scar that scars you psychologically for long term, if not for life. Like, the, if you don't reveal crazy shit like that, then sorry, your, your fucking drug stories suck, dude. <laughs> or if you're not running from the cops, or if you're not doing some fucking crazy shit, then I, I'm sorry. It's like, at least my drug stories are like, I look at, if I tell a story that's not like that epic, then I look at my, my story like, that's, that's a stupid, shitty story. And I just, I, I think the thing that just kind of just grossed me out and disgusted me the most about shit like that is when you, I mean, Look, I I've told gr- you know crazy stories or whatever that in a way kind of glamorize drugs, but not every story is like oh, this great glamorous like thing. Like 
the first half, I, yeah, definitely. Like I did drugs and gotten these crazy adventures and I came out all okay, you know, like, and I never, you know, there, there was plenty of times where I went to a party or hung out with friends and got wasted off a lot of fucking drugs and alcohol and or, and came out and got home and everything was safe and everyone, no one got hurt and shit like that. But, you know, if all your stories are like that, I, I, I smell a, a wafty hint of bullshit from where you're coming from, especially when you're releasing every like week a new story and you've been around for, and you have like so many hundred videos. Like, how do you remember all these drug stories? Like a lot of my best stories, I don't even fucking remember. Or half of them were like what I described, like pot, you know, glamorous and, you know, no one gets hurt. But then to not reveal the other half where it's like, that was the intention, but something really horrible happened. Like someone got too fucked up and crashed their car and died. Or, you know, you get getting involved in these crazy drug deals with some shady ass people who pack heat basically. And you don't know if you're going to get robbed or maybe you do get robbed or you get jumped by someone or get your fucking ass beat or you witness an overdose or you witness some crazy horrific shit that you did not intend to see that that night you just wanted to get high on some drugs, you know, or you, you get so strung out or get so addicted that the drive to sustain that without getting sick or going through withdrawal, you put yourself through horrible experiences that either get you arrested or you, you get exposed to like other addicts and their horrible dark depravity or, or shit like that. Like if you dude, it's impossible to have drug stories that are hundred percent great, like get the fuck out of here with that shit, you know? So anyway, I'm sorry to rant about this dude's shit YouTube channel, but, um, I thought of a period in my life that was very dark and, and traumatic and doesn't glamorize drug use at all. It makes it look real shitty and and just like, holy fuck, like the, you know, the downward spell, the depths of depravity and chaos and madness and depression and fucking hatred and rage, all that shit. And it was, a, I don't know, it was a time I was living in L.A. and I was dating this girl we were using together and, uh, you know, the whole relationship and and the things that we went through and experienced and were put through and put ourselves through were probably equally some of the darkest times in my heroin usage, let alone just drug usage. And so I thought I'd get into that. So um, with that, thank you for the birthday wishes. If, if you send them to me, I love you guys. Um, just because I hate birthdays, you can still reach out. I've been really secluded and shitty at getting back on social media, but I've been trying. And, you know, I'll, maybe I'll get into a lot of the reasons why I just took a step back. I think a lot of the reasons also is just all, I don't know, reflecting on checking myself on how open I get online. Uh, be, because shit, dude, 
I've gotten pretty open. Um, but with that, uh, let's get into this story. So, uh, I love you guys. Um, I will see you guys later. Please, uh, iTunes review for my birthday. That if I, if I get on next week or if I get on a few days later, I'm like, oh wow, someone who actually listened left an iTunes review. That'd make me feel pretty fucking special. So, you know, I'm not asking for money. <laughs> Just uh, for a birthday present. Yeah, iTunes reviews. Happy birthday, Unc. Your shit's cool. Or hey, happy birthday, you're a fucking loser. And um, hey, even that, if it's like four or five stars or whatever, full stars, yeah, just leave a you know, review saying I'm a loser and podcast school, you suck. I don't, I don't fucking know. So anyway, let's get into this story. I love you guys. And with that, I'm out. And peace, love, and all the above. I think it's without to say that um, growing up in Los Angeles, it's kind of scary at times, especially during the time I was growing up. Um, you know, we had moved out right before the LA riots happened, and to say there wasn't a buildup before that moment is crazy because. You know, there there was a definite buildup in the in that major city f- to cause the riots from happening. There was you know a lot of crime, a lot of violence, a lot of police brutality that was going on, but not being exposed in the ways that you, we have seen today. Um, so, yeah, the, there was a lot of things. There's a there's a lot of pride people in Los Angeles have about being from that city, but then there's a lot of aspects of, especially certain parts of LA that are just really fake and smoke and mirrors, and a lot of people in Los Angeles are very vocal about openly expressing kind of how bullshit the city can be, where, you know, I guess a lot of cities, they just kind of reveal to you the tourist attractions and the positive experiences, but then... There's deep underbellies in that, in that, I don't know, what they try to, like, project as a metropolis, but there's a lot of just horrible shit that happens there, you know? I'm, I would say probably the first thing that made me really realize that was when I was growing up and I saw, you know, my first dead body. I've talked about that on the podcast, um, you know... Like one time when I I had moved back to go to uh, college for sound engineering, one of my classmates and friends who lived down the street from me was like just hanging out in his apartment during the day, mind you, and he saw some crazy shit like a dude running out of a building with like a literal screaming woman on his shoulder, and he th- threw the guy threw this girl into a trunk, screaming the whole time, and then 
gotten his gotten in the car and just peeled off and took off with her screaming banging in a trunk and you know just the the, sh- the shit like that happening in broad daylight and and not getting the kind of notoriety it does and and not all of that just like what do you do it's like the cops in that town are so fucking <laughs> overworked to the point where it's like they can't handle the amount of calls that are coming in. I mean, we would be on the balcony smoking weed and stuff and watching cars get broken into and fucking people would call the cops and they'd never show up or they'd be on the phone with the cops like for hours and then they'd be like, yeah, the guy's hop on. He hot wired the car. Uh, he stole the car. He's leaving. You know, the crimes don't get fucking solved in L.A., you know, so when you see someone getting thrown in a trunk, it's just like you feel kind of powerless in that situation. You know, um, there's been plenty of times in L.A. I've been part of really shady deals with nefarious characters that I wouldn't nece- I wouldn't trust as far as I could throw them. But God damn, like they would have access to the money that I'm trying to make for the drugs I have, which was usually just pounds of weed and homegrown outdoor shit. But, um, just people that I know if I like turn my back for a second, I could see them, I don't know, fucking me over. Um, it's crazy shit like that, you know, uh, or staring down a barrel of a gun. Like I, you know, I've had guns pointed at me by cops and the like, and um, it's hard to, like, even conceptualize that or know what is the correct thing to think when that's going on. It's usually that your mind races to the point where it's like, okay, shit's about to get real and could become very real in a matter of seconds at the drop of a fucking hair trigger. Uh, it's crazy shit like that, but this specific story or moment in time that sticks out is when I was kind of just delving into heroin, kind of making my transition from Oxycontin to fucking tar, you know? Um, and I did so while I was dating a very special girl (laughs) that I was... I was seeing at the time, her her name was Carla. Um, Carla was quite a a character. Um, Carla was originally from I think Indiana, and she would uh, for some reason I don't know during a lot there like many years during this period and thereafter I had this thing where I would date people from all over the fucking states and I'd meet them online and then they'd either fly out or they'd move out or we'd make arrangements of his I mean I had there was a time I was working at the dispensaries or the many dispensaries and um yeah crazy shit would happen and uh I'd have the funds to fly someone out and we'd live together and I was just starting these very what I was trying to be, I guess I thought 
at the time were like serious relationships, but in reality, like I only knew this person's internet persona. And then once we just get to really know each other, I we really are exposed to each other's fucking character defects and inner demons and all that crazy shit. But um, yeah, Carla had come out to California and I had 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 lunch with her or something. And she would frequent visiting California. I think she had family out there. And so every time she'd fly out, she'd hit me up and we'd hang out for a few days. And then as we got more comfortable and built like some kind of trust with each other, we hung out more and we were hooking up and this and that. And uh, she would come out for for longer periods for a week or so at a time. And uh, we'd start getting into drugs. I mean, I, she knew we we smoked weed together and stuff like that. But, uh, I think, I don't know how it came about, but I, I was very liberal and openly expressing my, my love for other drugs and experimenting with other drugs. And it came to a point where we had like acquired a connect, I believe. And we, or we had gotten to know my infamous friend Stoner Steve, I've talked about it before, but he was a friend in the area who he was a junkie on and off, and he would get fucking good heroin. Um, I think when I think Carla come, came once on a just a surprise visit with a, a girlfriend, and she was had a crush on my roommate. Uh, at this time, mind you, I had just recently kind of moved into a new apartment in Pasadena. This was kind of technically Altadena on the outskirts of like the borderline between Pasadena and Altadena. And as you went north up the roads of Pasadena, you'd get into Altadena and the more the kind of the the grittier, sh- shittier parts of fucking the, the town where the seedier elements lied. Um, I know for a fact like and. I don't know. I there was it was a lot of the gang the there was gang activity. They resided in the area I moved into. I mean, I had just moved out of, of a different like three bedroom kind of townhouse apartment thing and the partying there was so just fucking crazy. I we were constantly getting the cops called on us and I was we were I was also growing lots of weed in this apartment and vending it to dispensaries. So I was also very paranoid but also having parties and shitty girlfriends and just fuck the the, the amount of holes punched in walls and shit like fuck. So we had to at the end of our lease we had no we had really no choice but to move out. I think at one point I was like DJing and in my room, and it was so noisy. The the neighbors in the complex across the way, one of them got out and like threw a rock at her window and like just shattered it. This giant boulder smashed through our window. You know, people are like hung over and passed out from the night before being on all, all kinds of drugs, and you know, fucking rock flies over their bodies, broken glass. You know, shit like that. It was crazy shit all the time. So when I, when I moved out, I I stayed in South Pasadena for a while in a one-bedroom just to mellow out. And then one of my roommates from the previous... Uh, well, one of my roommates from the, the townhouse 
was in a, an apartment with his girlfriend and he just he had to get out. He wanted to move out and uh, he was just like going crazy. He's like, ah, I need to break up with this girl and blah, blah, blah. And uh, it was the girl who's living with and dating. Um, and we all know how that works out from my experience. But I was like, look, the lease on this one bedroom is up pretty soon in like four months. And I have this looking at this four bedroom townhouse. Uh, it would be you, me, we need to get one more roommate and then I can grow weed. And then downstairs, it was like two stories. I was like, I'll live downstairs and I'll grow weed in the extra room downstairs or the extra living room downstairs or whatever you want to call it. And, um, and we'll rent out the two, you know, room to you upstairs and another room to someone else upstairs. Um, so his plan was to get out of his current apartment, just crash on my couch for a month or so in my in my apartment in South Pasadena and then go from there. Um, he also had to break up with his girlfriend. Uh, so I, 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 in hindsight, yeah, I realized this is a real shitty, horrible thing to do. Um, and I, at the time, wasn't concerned with it at all, but... What, what my friend, his name was Tom. What my friend Tom did is, uh, he made his girlfriend think he had work that day. She had work that day, so she went to work, do her shift all day. Instead of him actually having work, he moved all of his shit into to my fucking one bedroom apartment, uh, and waited at the apartment for his girlfriend to show up. After she got off work, which she did, she got home to see all of her boyfriend's things are gone. And he's just sitting there being awkward as fuck. Now, Tom, Tom was a weird fuck, dude. He was a good friend. We, we DJed together, kind of, and produced together. Um, and, like, real shit music. But he... There was like, I think he was a virgin for the longest time. Like when we first met him, me and this, my crowd of friends or something, he came to our circle and he, he was, there was like, I think his, one of his sisters, I think his younger sister had told us he was a virgin. So we told him, we, when we would talk around it, we talk, talk about it with him around, we'd, we'd use the lingo like, oh yeah, he's got his V card or whatever. So we wouldn't know. It was like deep undercover talk for, yeah, Tom's a virgin. And he just was really awkward around girls. Like he did, I remember he was with some girl and he would like, he would pull really weird, awkward moves. Like he'd grab her ass and like say something like, oh, you're beautiful. It's like, who does that? So you either do one thing or the other, you either grab their ass or say they're beautiful, but like to do one and the other, it's so, it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, but, um, so, but then he finally got this girlfriend named Isabel and they went out for a long time and they're happy and they're living together. But then Tom wants to fucking move out and break up with her around this time. Also, I was just, I was just a real shithead and I was just hooking up with random girls. Uh, fuck dude. I was like really just hooking up with random girls dating for a while and moving on to the next one and not giving a fuck about anyone's feelings. Um, 
being horribly selfish in relationships, like, holy fuck, like, really was just trying to have sex and hang out with them when I wanted to, but most of the time just doing drugs and being fucked. And so I had just gotten out of a shit relationship with this girl who was just crazy drunk. Like, I'll get into that some other time, but I was seeing this new girl, um, kind of, and her friend... I had met her friend, her name was Sam, and I was, like Sam started hitting me up and wanting to hang out and stuff, which was really weird because it was like me and her hanging out alone. It's like, why are you so interested in getting to know me? I'm hooking up with your friend. Like, it's weird. So I eventually kind of pawned her off on to Tom and set them up. Uh... And not even really thinking about Isabel, Tom's actual girlfriend, but they start getting interested in each other, and Tom really likes her, and Sam likes him. And so Tom, Tom's plan is to dump Isabel and start going out with Sam. Ugh, real shitty way to go about things, I know. Um, so anyway, f- fast forward. Isabel gets home to their apartment see Tom there, but all his shit's gone. And she's like, what are you doing? What are you doing home? You're supposed to be at work. And then she looks around like, Oh, where's all your stuff? So then he's like, all right, we look with Isabel. We have to have a talk. Like uh, I'm moving out. We're going to break up and blah, blah. And, uh, that kind of news is pretty intense to hear that like, all right, now all of a sudden fast forward switch. you just got off work you think everything's normal. You get home and your boyfriend or your girlfriend or whatever breaks up is breaking up with you that moment and all their stuff's moved out and, oh, I'm not living here anymore. Hang out by yourself. So she didn't handle that well. She had actually, like, was screaming. She wanted to, to, to die. And she ran to the uh, kitchen and fucking got a knife and started slashing her, her fucking wrists to the point where Tom had to, like, jump up and, like, get the knife out of her hand because she was cutting her fucking arms, like self-harming, saying she wanted to die. It was pretty fucked up. And so now thinking about that now, it's like, wow, that was a real shit thing that happened. And I kind of just was allowing it, not, not, not necessarily allowing it to happen, but just letting it happen and not having any kind of thoughts like, oh, this is fucked up. Like there's a way better way to handle all of this. Because at the time I was searching for fucking pills and fucking getting high. Like I really, and, and going to work and making sure I had enough weed to smoke all day every day so I wouldn't go insane. And that's basically what it was. So I really didn't think about it. And I mean, I thought about like, well, that's fucked up. Like, and I mean, afterwards I'm like, oh, like, fuck, that could have happened. So many, everyone could have ha- handled everything so much better, but... You know, I was kind of sitting like a bystander, just focusing on myself, not thinking or caring about anyone else, really, which is real shitty, but shit happened, and this is the story. So Tom moves in and starts dating this girl, Sam, who is an absolute fucking psychopath, the most codependent, clingy, fucking jealous manipulative just piece of shit she ended up like after I had set them up and they were going out she would get jealous of Tom and me hanging out 
and wouldn't let Tom hang out with me. And we eventually couldn't, we weren't, would never hang out because Tom was pretty much, he was pussy whipped. Let's, let's not get, let's not fucking beat around the bush. He was totally pussy whipped and letting her control every aspect of life. She would eventually, once they, you know, down the road, they're still going out. She would like punch him in his sleep. Like he'd, she'd get jealous of a girl saying hi to him that worked with him or some shit. And he'd be sleeping and she'd fucking sock him in the face or she would like steal money out of his wallet and get mad at him. If like he wouldn't let her like fucking steal money. It's just oh, fuck, fucking. And then they like, you know, they break up and she'd be like sitting in her car parked on the side of the house, just like staring at our apartment, just fucking weird shit. But anyway, they start hanging out. I'm gearing up to get out of this lease and we get this four bedroom townhouse where there's a lot of gang activity. Thing about Altadena, especially at the time was the gang that was inhabiting the most in this, this area were the bloods. And, uh, I think, or I believe at the time, the 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 gang that had the most turf or the most uh, control over the most parts of the city were the Crips, which was awkward because, you know, pretty much everywhere we, we drive, dispensaries, clubs, and that, we're going to be around Crip neighborhoods, but we live where the most bloods live. So you have to kind of rep not rep, but you know what, where you live, like, I'm not going to be repping crip shit, you know, where I live, where there's all these bloods, but everywhere else in LA, not, is, you know, the opposite, you know, me being some stupid fucking punk white kid, I'm not going to rep gangs or claim anything, but at the same time, I interact with these people, I interact with gang members and, and this and that, so pot and other drugs to them, psychedelics. So it's like you get friendly with criminal elements like you just do. Um, and so even though they know I'm neutral, I'm just some white boy has like somewhat of some, some connections, you know, they, they're cool with me, but at the same time, some of them who don't know me are perfectly open with robbing me or doing whatever, you know, just like any other stranger who's into robbing people that don't know you, they're down to fucking do that. But yeah, this this four bedroom townhouse was next to this apartment complex called the Jungle, and there's all there are all these rep these, these, these horror stories about there. Where it's like you know back in the day, if you, you if you didn't have like safe passageway or safe entry, if you got in there, you wouldn't get out and shit shit like that. And I mean, you take that with a grain of salt, but when I'd go onto the balcony of my new apartment and see bullet holes in the railing of the fucking, of my balcony, you kind of got, and see bullet holes in certain parts of the walls that are in the apartment, part of the apartment building that you rent. It's, it gets to the point where it's like, yeah, yeah, some shit goes down here. Guns have gone off here. Crazy shit has gone down in this area, so... You know, our apartment had gotten broken into once, but we'd eventually moved out of my one bedroom in South Pasadena into this four bedroom townhouse in Altadena. And uh, I was growing weed downstairs and getting any kinds of drugs 
mostly pain pills. If I had access to them or could get them and someone called me and said they could get them, I would buy them immediately and do them. There's just no questions about that. Um, and at the same time, I had seen Carla a few times uh, when I had the one bedroom uh, and, and I had it all to myself. But then also when I had moved, she had come out a few times on surprise and uh, had come with her girlfriend once who liked Tom. And I think this was before Tom was officially like dating anyone. He's kind of hanging out with Sam, but uh, hanging out with this girl too, not being official with anyone and not really doing this crazy hookup thing because just, I guess, wasn't his style. So Carl ends up staying for like maybe a week and goes home. She came back one other time. She came back a few other times, but the next time she came, she came for a week, like two weeks. And when she got out to L.A., and I picked her up from the LAX at the airport, and I saw her, I think after about a week, she had gotten into it with her mom, and um, and she, her mom wouldn't let her fly back home. So she was just stuck at my apartment, and uh, I didn't have, I didn't really know how to get, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say get rid of her, but it was like, after a while, it's like, all right, we're, are we, we're not necessarily living together, so what are you going to do? So it's like, I had, for a, a couple weeks or a few weeks, I was kind of just like, didn't know what to do as this person's housed at my fucking, my place, my fucking domicile or whatever, and and we're just doing drugs, but it's like, her mom won't let her come back. It's just like, what the fuck? Like, I don't know. Anyway, little thing, a few things to say about Carla. Carla um, was a trust fund baby. Her dad had passed away and left her a shit ton of money, like a shit ton of money. Um, Carla had very severe borderline personality disorder. Um, and God, she, she must have been diagnosed with some other things. I don't think she was really treated or medicated for because she she had, I don't know, she many issues. Uh, I think she had gone through some heavily, heavy psychological like damage and trauma. You know, when we were first hanging out, she would she had told me about how her her dad had had raped her when she was a child and all the, you know, crazy shit she had gone through growing up. And I, I didn't really ask or know what to ask about the specifics and didn't really feel that was appropriate to, you know, dig deeper on, on such a, a horrible thing to, to bring up. And, you know, to talk about that shit, you, you have to, feel comfortable opening up in the first place. So it's hard to kind of, it was, especially at the time, it was hard for me to even, even picture the, you know, what she was telling me and like digesting it like, or processing it like mentally and emotionally. It's just like such a heavy thing. You're raped by your dad, but he, I, he had died. He had left you all this money. I guess maybe he knew like all of how fucked up, he was and all the fucked up things he had done to her and 
and tried to make up for it because he knew he was such a sick fuck. I, I, I really don't know, but he had died and left her a shit ton of money. Um, also leaving her just totally fucking broken. I can't even fucking imagine, you know, just fuck, dude. But anyway, um, she was left with so much, you know, scars, you know, psychologically, I guess you would say. But she had acted out and self-harmed. She had cuts all over her wrists and arms. Um, you know, scars, you could definitely see she had self-harmed. She had tried to commit suicide, a few, you know, quite a few times growing up to the point where she was emotionally unstable enough for her mother to, I guess, take control of her assets or take control of her trust fund to the point where she didn't have nearly control or full access of her money and her mom would delegate the funds of the trust to her when she would deem it appropriate. But she'd also, her mother was also insane, spending all of basically Carla's trust money not on herself or drapes for the new house or this or that, you know. Um, you know, from what Carla had said, it was basically her mother was kind of jealous that she wasn't left with all the trust or all of her husband's money and was mad that, that Carla had gotten a shit ton of it so she would try and steal it, basically, by claiming, like, she was incapable of doing so of handling the funds on her own um but while she would be out here we would dabble um like i said we had met and we got we got became friendly with our our druggy friend stoner steve who could get us a bunch of, of drugs you know at the, and at the time you know pills were so fucking hard to come by this is kind of around i've I'd done heroin a few times and smoked it a few times and I'd have people inject me a few times, and but I still was after pills. That was like, I was like, I'll hold out for pills. It's the better high, I thought in my mind. And But then um, they were just so hard to come by at the time. So me and Carla started partying by, by smoking drugs, the safer alternative. Well, we're not, we're not doing anything bad. We're just smoking heroin and... We're doing coke at the same time, or, you know, I would cook coke in a crack, and we would, like, smoke heroin and smoke crack. Like, like that's so much safer. But we did that for a while and got pretty heavy on that. Um, but hanging out with Stoner Steve, we, we began quickly having Stoner Steve inject us because I and Carla at the time, we really did not know anything about the proper ways or etiquette to like shoot up and register a vein properly. I mean, I fucking did it so many wrong ways and I read how I registered some of the, the ways I stuck needles in my arm is beyond me. I can't believe I didn't do more damage to my intervascular system. But, uh, so it, it quickly evolved to the point where we would, hit up Steve for black tar. He'd get it for us, but then we'd be like, all right, we need some rigs. We'd make us find, make him show us what CVS or Rite Aid would sell a pack of rigs. And then we would have Steve shoot us up. You know, that was the only way because we were too sh like chicken shit scared to do it ourselves. Like I still had like this weird fear of needles and I didn't know how 
to dig around in my arm to like successfully shoot up. Um, and once I got kind of acquainted to and comfortable doing it myself and drawing blood back and being able to do that, uh, Carla, she, her, she had shit veins like her, her whole life. Like even before she was shooting up, she, her veins were just sunken in her arm really bad. So you really had to poke around deep. Her veins were really thin too. So she would make me practice and shoot up her, um, so I'd be, God, there's just so many moments I'd be like digging around her arm trying to register and nothing. And I'd be trying for like, fuck, like a half hour at times. I'd be, and the most fucked up thing is I, I'd do a shot and we'd score some heroin down the road. I'd be parked like somewhere in Echo Park in my car in some back back alley or back street at night. I'm high, trying not to nod off. Steve's in the back. He'd already shooting up. And I'm just digging around in Carla's arms trying to get her fucking well. And just, like, fucking too much. There's so much blood in the syringe. It's just like, fuck. But still not registering. It's just like, it'd slip out. Like, it's so dark. And then we getting us getting in an argument or a fight over, you know, her, like, just... Telling me, hurry up, get it, just hurry up and shoot me up. And I'm trying and, ugh, this is fucking shit. But, so on this particular occasion, uh, we had Steve come by the apartment. And it's during the day. Um, he's got, we told him he's, well, he told us he was getting heroin. So we said, get us some, we have money for you. So he came back to the house with all the heroin. We gave him money. We all have heroin. And we, I we have Steve just cook us up some shots. Now on this particular occasion, I wasn't like strung out or dope sick. I wasn't like super dependent on it, and I was used to Steve or I had like a couple people, other people like dose me up, like like kind of eyeball how much would be a safe amount for me to use and not die because I was a noob at this, and uh, so. Steve cooks me up a shot that he thinks is quite safe. Uh, but this black tar was particularly potent, uh, more so than he was, you know, accustomed to. And so he hits me and Carla and, uh, have you ever, I don't know anyone out there who shot up, have you ever done a shot, felt the rush and you're like, all right, this is good. But you know, there's a plateau of the rush and then it, it kind of peak peaks out and you uh, get to this point where it's like a plateaus, you know, and you're like, all right, that's the high. And I feel high now, but you know, the rush peaked and now I know this is what I'm going to be feeling my, but if you've ever done too much before it plateaus, you, you feel it, they feel the rush and it's, and you're going through the rush and it gets more intense and more intense and more intense until the point where you, get concerned where you're like, all right, if this gets any more fucking crazy, I'm going to probably overdose. You know, this is bad. Um, I mean, I've, I, there's been points where I've been shooting up and I'd have Narcan in my stuck in my nostril while I'm shooting up just in case the rush gets too much. I can like, hopefully, hopefully at the last second, press Narcan in my nose and save myself because I'm shooting up by myself. No one else is going to help me. Oh my God. Just crazy shit like that. 
Well, this is before we were smart enough to carry Narcan around. And so Steve had shot me up. I'm in my ghetto apartment with the bullet holes in it in Altadena with Carla. And we were just kind of just, just getting acquainted with getting shot up and what it's like to shoot up. Even though I'd done it just a handful of times. And and so the the, the rush of the tar hits me and I get more fucked up and more fucked up. And by the time I plateau, I'm kind of just, my head is like nodding and falling into my lap. You know, I'm like, I just have no control over keeping my shit, my, my, I don't know, my shit together, basically. Like, you just, take one look at me at the time and I was just like, yeah, you're fucked up. You're nodding out and you're pretty much overdosing on heroin. So we're on the balcony smoking cigarettes and I'm nodded out bad. Um, I'm coming in and out of it and I'd come out of it, take a couple drags off the cigarette and, and kind of just black out and fall asleep, basically. I don't know if the drugs are cut with more shit to make you sleepy or what um but I didn't I had done too much basically and I didn't think I was overdosing because every other time I'd overdosed it was like I'd overdosed so hard that it was everything went to black and then I came out of it after getting Narcan this time I didn't necessarily need to get Narcan but um but I was like in and out of it I was like falling out over and over um you know, there'd be times I'd remember, like, I, I can't remember a lot of it, but there'd be times it'd be like, Car- I'd, I'd wake up to Carlos slapping me in the face. I'd be together for a little bit, and then I'd f- drift back out and fall back out. And this was about, I don't know, like 4 or 5 p.m. It was around this time. I'm still fucking high, and uh, roommate Tom comes back from work, and sees me, and it's like, it's clear as day. It's like, there's no way I can hide that I just shot up heroin. Like, this is like the stereotypical, like, passed out junkie, like, sleeping on the street, fucking steps in the fucking alleyway somewhere. And that was me. And so, I didn't say anything, but I, from what I remember... Tom had turned to Carl and Steve and been like, what did he take? What did you give him? And one of those two fucks, I don't know who, but they had told him, yeah, he shot up some heroin or they didn't even say we shot up heroin. It was just like, oh yeah, he, he shot up heroin. So now I remember at this point kind of while falling out over and over and then Tom trying to slap me awake and, like, keep me awake. Um, I'm also trying to calm him down and be like, dude, it's cool, I'm fine, I'm fine. And we end up smoking a bowl of weed. Um, and, like, I keep nodding out and forgetting to hit smoke the weed. I guess I was just doing it to try and calm da- Tom down because at that point, weed is not phasing me whatsoever. I was so fucked up, like... How I didn't have an ambulance called on me like to other times, like, it was beyond me. But I just, the one thing I remember is coming out of a blackout and trying to explain to Tom what I was feeling and 
that everything was okay because he thought I was dead. I was probably blue in the face. But have you ever been so fucked up that when you're talking to someone, they look at you like they give you this look or this expression that like it doesn't really matter what you say to them, but it's um they look at you like almost in horror, like this guy is fucked up. How do I deal with this mess? And so they just look at you almost in disgust and fear, just like, holy, look at this motherfucker. Like, what the fuck do I do? So there's really nothing you can say or do to, like, make yourself, like, to, to say something that makes someone pay attention and listen to you because all they can see is just your body language and how fucked up you are. It's basically the look at, that Tom had given me, just like, Jesus, fuck. I think that, <laughs> I really think that was the moment Tom was like, yeah, I'm not going to fuck with this guy anymore because... I would get Tom really fucked up and make him or peer pressure him to experiment with drugs with me. You know, I'd buy a sh little shitty, like, you know, fucking 20 bag of meth and make him snort one line with me and make him get spun with me. Or I'd make him fucking snort pills with me. Or I never made him do. I made him smoke heroin with me once. But it's like, yeah, I did that. I was just like, I'd make people do drugs with me. And, Car and the same thing with Carla. Like, she was fairly innocent. And now that I look back at it, yeah, I fucking realized, like, yeah, wow, I fucking brought her to the dark side, even though, in my defense, I was delving and indulging and experimenting and just getting started with transitioning myself, me and Carla had kind of done together, but I know part of it was, like, I played on her, she played on me, too, but we, we didn't pressure each other, but we we put the opportunity in front of each other to get high. She would buy drugs or I would have get drugs or introduce people that could get drugs or, and when we'd get drugs. So, I, I mean, that was just a horrible thing. And I remember Tom moving out shortly after that, I believe to get a place with Sam and, uh, they lived oh so happily ever after. Um, fuck dude. And then I moved out of that apartment. We had a few roommates. We had a, one of my friends was a roommate for a while, left. Then we had another. My friend DJ was a roommate. And he was missing. He had invited a bunch of people over and got super drunk with them. And like $7 was missing from his room. But because I was known to do heroin that I had some, he, he had suspected me of going in his room and taking $7 and I was like, no, I'm not, I didn't take your money and I'm not, and then he demanded I give him seven or $12 and I was like, well, if I do that, then I'm, I'm admitting guilt, like I'm, I, and I didn't take your money, so I'm not going to fucking give you money I didn't take, like, fuck off, like, I don't know, and then it, evol it, it evolved into him coming downstairs with a bat and like banging his bat on like the metal railing and like, just crazy shit like that, but. I ended up moving out of that apartment uh, down the street into a one-bedroom bungalow apartment. I did this thing where I lived with like four people at, in a four-bedroom townhouse for one lease. And then when that was over, I lived by myself for a year lease and then moved into like with a uh, place with five people for a year and then into a one-bedroom for a year. And I ended up moving out and I uh, moved in this one-bedroom bungalow and um, right before I moved, I was 
like Carla had left. I finally got rid. I wouldn't say get rid of her because that sounds kind of mean and fucked up. But we finally had convinced her mom to give her some more trust fund money because by the by that time she would had been there for a few weeks and we were just she was constantly hitting up her mom for money for drugs like oh well we want to go do this in LA or that and you know after a week or so and her not coming back and being able to get money for a plane ticket back I'd be on the phone with her mom for like 30 minutes to an hour and her mom would just go off to me about well, Carla does this and Carla does that and she just needs to change and do this. And I'd have to listen to this shit over and over and be like, uh, and try and like Dr. Phil her ass to like make her feel better. It's like, who the, who the fuck do you think you're talking to? I'm just some fucking, do you know who I am? I'm just fucking crazy fucked up junkie basically. But finally, um, after partying for a while, she finally got a plane ticket back to Indiana. So this time around this time, uh, she, Carla and I were talking. She was, she was planning to make a, take a trip down to LA. Oh, but my dumb or my fucking, my, my shit, my shitty, my shitty ass, uh, had another girl come out, um, instead, uh, my, who was my girlfriend later, Jael. And so I told Carla not to fly out and she was devastated. And yeah, that was a really fucked up thing I did. I realize now, like during that period, I was really, like I said before, I was jumping from one relationship to the next and only thinking about myself. Like sex was not really, uh, I didn't really think of sex as like, you know, two people coming together and experience something as together. It was just like sex was like something for me to selfishly extract for my own benefit and seek my own pleasure. And I had to use another human being to obtain that. And I did that without any regard for how I affected anyone emotionally or anything. You know, I use sex like, all right, I'm gaining this for myself and that's it. Like selfish as fuck. And, uh, the thing with, but when you have a, or dating someone that's also a drug user, you at the same time, it's just like, it's a weird connection you, you share with them where it's like, all right, we go through all this together, you know, but, uh, I devastated her there and Jael flew out. I dated Jael at the townhouse for a while and I saw Jael one more time when I moved to the bungalow and that was, that became really bad. Uh, and we eventually broke up now some time had gone by and basically I had talked to Carla recently again. I had, well, I had recently gone on this crazy run and I had a pill connect for oxy connect like anytime I wanted, and I got gotten super strung out on oxys while still working at the dispensary. Sometimes we're doing two jobs, fourteen-hour days, driving around selling weed. Um, and I had recently gotten arrested, and they found like three cell phones and a th over a thousand dollars and crazy bills and a joint. And when they finally got the phones open to look through them. There's just text after text of orders and just 
me being on probation, I got arrested. I was actually going at, at night to buy some more Oxy. So when I got out, I knew I was going to be sick. And I went through this detox, took Kratom and all this. And I was just smoking weed and not strung out. So I was like, all right, cool. So by, you know, after me and Carla were talking again, reconnecting online a little bit, she was explaining to me how strung out she was and that she needed to get off the dope because she was strung out on heroin. And so my stupid ass thought, oh, well, hey, I detoxed at home and went through physical withdrawals and now I'm fine. So you should just do that. Come here and take Kratom and be away from your dope dealer and everything will be cool. Well, that turned out real shitty. When Carla came out, she had smuggled shit tons of pills. She had a kind of a hustle where she had met some people who were paying her to smuggle shit tons of ecstasy over uh, airplanes. She had it like sewn in her clothes and stuff like two to 500 ecstasy pills and she'd make, you know, however many thousands of dollars to do that. And she'd done it a few times, made some money. So she was comfortable with smuggling shit. Well, she smuggled in some little druggy baggies that were inside of her, like in her vaginal canal. So you could say just a shit ton of like morphine pills and a shit ton of oxy pills and stuff, things that would help her, kind of weaned down from the heroin. So me being fresh off of a shit ton of pain pills invites my on and off again, you know, girlfriend Carla to come detox off heroin. And she brings so many, I don't know how she fit that many pills inside of her, but I was just like, holy fuck. You know, now the monkey is back itching on my shoulder, basically. And, uh, I mean, to say I didn't want those pills is a huge lie. I would try to, you know, when she would be sick and doing Oxy and still being sick, I'd be like, give me some Oxy, you know, which most of the time it would be a big fat no. But then eventually, yes, <laughs> I got on, I got high on Oxy and did her, some of her Oxy to, and then it followed with her running out and her being like, all right, we got to get heroin. And finally, yeah, we I hit up a hit up a plug. I think we hit up Steve Stoner. Steve got some heroin and I think got some coke. And I had shot myself up. This is the first time I really just like registered. Like I remember getting high that time. I had registered perfectly, and it was like uh, like a not it's kind of like an epiphany where I realized like okay. I can shoot up by myself. I don't need Steve anymore. And I know how to dose myself the right amount. And I got really fucking high. Because I think when people would shoot me up before, for the most part, they would do, they'd hit me up with a lot less. Because, you know, I was a newbie there. Wanted to see how much I could handle. With They didn't want to deal with someone overdosing in, in a car next to them, flopping around. Um, so... Then I remember trying to shoot shoot up Carla and just nodding out into her shoulder and stuff. It was fucked, but that quickly kicked off us. This is the, you know the time I'm in the bungalow apartment with her, and for weeks upon weeks upon months, it just became us every day scoring heroin, doing it and being high all day. 
It was it was fucked. During this time, I also remember having to go in and out of court for, you know, getting busted by the cops. Um, you know, when I had gotten pulled over and had all that money found on me and all the phones, they had searched my apartment, trashed it, found shit tons of weed, shit tons of money, took as almost everything, confiscated my laptop for fuck's sake. Thank God I finally got back, but yeah, um... I was in and out of court fighting that case, and part of it was I had to do community service. And I knew my lawyers were at were at the time telling me, if you do this community service, it'll look better to the judge, so just do it, and then we'll move on to the next part of the, the trial or whatever. So I remember during the day, I'd get up early, and I'd go over to Caltrans and do eight hours of community service every day. Monday through Friday, just to get it done by the deadline, but also being strung out on heroin. So waking up at like five, six in the morning, Carla's still asleep. And I remember just like tiptoeing in the bedroom, sneaking her purse into the kitchen, pulling out enough Coke and, and black tar and cooking up shots and shooting up for the day, hoping that Carla wouldn't see me, you know, I was just hoping I wouldn't get caught stealing her drugs. Like, it was so fucked. I remember being in the bathroom one time trying to, you know, cook up shots and then her, like, it'd be locked and Carl, like, banging on the bathroom. What are you doing in there? And then her sticking her head in and seeing me, like, shoot up and be like, what the fuck? You stole my drugs. It was fucked. Very fucked. But, um, and then going to Caltrans with, like, a couple of loaded rigs and shooting up in the porta potty on the side of some fucking freeway in LA just like holy shit or being dope sick like picking up fucking alcohol bottles on the side of the freeway with a trash picker or bags of shit like fucking truckers throw lots of shit on the side of the freeway it's disgusting so and I don't know those were very dark times or times when fuck like one time me and Carla were super super high because I remember get, I'd get off around 4 or 5 from Caltrans, be still super high driving home to the point where I'm like nodding off at a red light, letting my foot off the brake a little bit, pretty much f- falling out behind the wheel and rear-ending someone and then like coming to and realizing what I did and having to drive away and just like speed off because I know like – I, maybe I don't have a, my license might be suspended or my tags might be gone. I might not have insurance. Like, who knows the fuck, you know, at the time. So all, all with all this shit going on, I get, I get home, you know, I'd buy like a bunch of just junk food and me and her would just eat junk food and be get high again for the fifth time of the day and just hang out night and have sex or take bubble baths together like fuck one time it was at night and uh we were so fucking high and in such a psychosis carla was convinced that she was pregnant because we were you know having regular sex and she'd push on her belly and her like abdomen or something and she's like look feel that i feel the baby and she'd press on it and and like take my hand and her hand and press on it so hard 
she'd be like, rub it right there in circular motion so it fucking dies. Like, and she would push my hand with her hand against her fucking stomach around some part she thought there was like where she was pregnant and make me push it around. So you'd be like, hopefully I get a miscarriage, like dark fucked up shit like that. And I'd just be like, what the fuck am I doing? Like what the fuck kind of environment am I fucking in? (sighs) Fucked up shit. And I don't, I mean, I don't think she was pregnant because I've, there was one time, Carla did get pregnant, but had a crazy miscarriage like immediately after because we were just so strung out and there was lots of blood involved and stuff like that. But just doing that alone, just like making her pushing my hand against her and she was trying to like rub out or kill the baby she thought was inside her. It was fucking dark and sticks out like fucks me up. But, you know, I think... Another thing that really fucking fucked me up was the the times nodding out. That was the first time nodding out was very tame compared to the later ones. Like overdosing in general for me was was probably some of my darkest, most fucked up, traumatic times because I experienced I don't know side effects from those type of things. Now where you know I would. There'd be times I'd be sleeping and have like this crazy night terror where I'd be dreaming um, I was getting high and I was overdosing in my dream and, um, you know, I thought I was dying or I'd wake up thinking I was still in my dream and thinking I was dead. Just crazy shit like that kind of fucks with you or it did with me. I get insomnia from it sometimes or traumatic things about... Other fucked up things that happened. I don't know. I mean, I remember during that time. Oh, shit. Me and Carla would. Uh, I remember once I was shooting her up and. She uh, over the next over the next couple of days, she had gotten a pain in her arm. And I guess I had missed a goofball or speedball and she had gotten an abscess and I had to, you know, we were shooting up days and days after that, but couldn't hit she couldn't hit that same spot she's like yeah my arm really hurts like we need to go to the hospital and I would take I'd take her to the hospital and she'd go in she had good insurance you know plenty of money and uh she'd come in and get her you know get fucking abscess taken out or have her veins like fucking reattached and crazy shit like that and uh in the meantime I'm I'm in the waiting room but I'm also like all right I'm gonna get heroin too and she wanted she'd send me out she'd be like all right make sure we have heroin like so i we don't get sick and i'd be while i had dropped her off for the abscess that i pretty much caused i'm going out and getting heroin for us more heroin for us so we can shoot up more in the hospital i was fucked up like god i can't even ugh. but i think the darkest thing was I think a little bit after that. Um, fuck. Ugh, this shit's not easy to talk about, but hold on. So, one time, uh, basically, on this particular night, I think we had gotten into a fight about something. 
but the the thing is, I don't even know what me and Carla had gotten into a fight about. But I basically ended up with her storming out of my apartment at the time. Um, and her and I arguing. Carla would do this thing. Uh, Carla was very interesting, even though she had been through some of the most fucked up shit I've ever kind of been told about. But um, she she was very, I don't know. She kept to herself a lot, but she opened up to me about a lot of things. She she had, she the first, this was the first person who I'd met who was like self-proclaimed kind of um, clairvoyant. And I always thought that shit was bullshit until it was like the first time we met, Carla would tell me things about myself that she would only know if I had told her, which I didn't at the time, but she had told me so many accurate things about myself that I was kind of convinced, like, hey, she must be fucking clairvoyant to see all these things. And she would tell me all this crazy, crazy shit that really kind of got me sucked in when she would talk about my personality or things about I had been through or experiences I had that I had never told her before. And I was just like, how does she know this shit? But she would also do this thing where she would just disappear for the whole day sometimes. Um, I think I attribute it to like her being upset or maybe it was part of her borderline personality disorder kicking in. I, I'm not sure, but... On this particular day, she was getting in an argument with me and leaving. And so we were arguing, and on the sidewalk, she turns around and she kind of just decks me in the face. Just punches me. Boom. And, uh, yeah, I was just, I don't know. I didn't, I won't say it didn't hurt, but it was a point where I was like, I'm not going to. It stung, but I was like, I was not getting knocked out. But I was like, just kind of shocked that she would even do that. And so we had this kind of look at each other where I was like, oh, that just happened. And then I was like, get the fuck out of here, basically. And she left. And she would just go walk her all around town and go exploring or do whatever. Um, and at this time, we were getting high on the on the regular every day. So we always needed to get high or have drugs. But one thing she would do it was hit up this dude who lived up the street. And now, like I said, this is a shady part of Altadena. It's really nefarious, shitty, shifty people hang out around these neighborhoods. And this dude would give her fucking heroin to spend time with him. Uh, later, I would come to find out that she was selling her body for drugs to do. Um, but I fucking was so strung out, I wasn't even really thinking about looking into that like aspect of anything. Just I was only thinking about, oh, I'm sick, I have to get well, let's get fucking drugs. She'd come back with drugs. Uh, it turns out she was, I, I mean, you could say she was cheating on me. I mean... And hanging out and selling her body for fucking dope. Um, and not telling me until like a week or so after that she'd been doing this, which is just like, I don't know. It's all, it, if, 
it's not something I've really talked about, but if you're dating someone and you both get strung out together and then there's a moment where your girlfriend is selling her body f- to get drugs for you both to get well, uh, that's a shitty feeling for so on so many levels and for so many reasons. It's like, fuck. Um, just to... To put a female in that position or for a female to feel like that is her only position or out to get well or get what she wants, it's such a fucked up situation in general. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's weird and hard to talk about, but she she had left and she had gone on this particular time to... Skid Row and um, was hanging out with some shady ass people. I had no idea where she was. I went back to my house and I was, since I was already high on heroin, I just smoked some weed and mellowed out. But apparently she was hanging out with some shifty ass people to get money and they had fucking kidnapped her in LA. Um, and held her against her will for for hours. Um, I would I was trying to call her. I couldn't get through and get a hold of her. Um, didn't know where she was. And when she didn't want to be found, she would she would make it really difficult to be found. You know, she was somewhere that she, no one knew where she was. Um, I remember finally getting a call from her. She's fucking frantic. Telling me she's in downtown LA, kind of by Skid Row. She went to get heroin or money for heroin. And she was fucking kidnapped by these fucking two dudes who she didn't know they were going to fucking beat her or rape her or what. But somehow she got free and she was in a part of LA she didn't know and needed to help and this and that. Um, and she was still trying to meet up and get a hold of Steve to get fucking heroin. So I just remember going down Skid Row and kind of see, to asking her what side street she'd seen and trying to find out where she was from where I was. And walking through Skid Row is just so... Ugh, I hate... <sighs> I, uh, I hate walking through Skid Row. It's so fucking intense. Um, especially like during, there's so many times I've been walking through Skid Row to score, score heroin and the drive in me to get well was like so intense. Like I had one track mission. Like I wasn't even like worried about walking through Skid Row. It was just like so focused on the mission at hand. That I wasn't even thinking about, oh, there's these dudes with knives and there's fucking all this crazy shit around me. I was just thinking about, I'm going to get heroin, I need to do this and get back home. So I can get high and then that's that. So, um, anyway, uh, I was walking through Skid Row trying to find her and getting in fucking arguments and fights with homeless people. And finally I meet her and she, she's like sweaty and... Just like shaking, and I remember taking her back to the to the house. She had gotten heroin afterwards, but she could tell she was fucked up in the head over it about what just happened. And um, 
I wanted to find the dudes, which was stupid. I was just like, where the fuck are these people? And she was like, I don't know. I don't care. Just get me the fuck out of here. And so I remember driving her back, and uh, we did... I remember putting a, a, a hunk of tar on, on our cooker and putting the rest aside for later, like for a get well bag for tomorrow, the next day. And I remember her taking the rest of it or breaking off a chunk of it and adding that to the cooker. And it was just so big. It was like, I don't think I did. I was like, dude, I don't, I don't think he, we can both handle that much. Um, and she just kind of looked at me with these, like, just dead, sunken eyes. Like she had seen a ghost that day. Or she had seen something that was just fucked her up. Like the things that had fucking scarred her many, the many times before in her life. And she was like, no, we're getting, we're, I'm, we're, I'm doing this much right now. And there's nothing anyone can say about it. And after what I'd been through, after finding out, you know, Carla was selling her body for heroin and she'd pretty much almost got raped or maybe she did and she didn't tell me about it. I don't know, but I split, I cooked up the shot, split it in two and we did it. And I remember it was just enough to forget or not forget about what happened, but necessarily think about what happened and be so numb that it not affect either of us to where we could just lay back and kind of cuddle and kind of watch TV or whatever and um, zone out for the rest of the night. And then the next day, no shit. It was like we did a get well bag and it was like nothing fucking happened. You know, Um, we, we kind of, you know, there's a lot of traumatic events that I've just mentally kind of blocked out of my mind, kind of as like a survival tactic. Like I don't even acknowledge that even being an experience in my life because it was just too traumatic. And a few of those things I haven't really opened up and talked about because they're really fucked up. But that, that was one of them where... The next day we act, we, I, it was almost just like second nature. Like we acted like nothing happened. We did our get well bag, called up our plug and went on a ride at 11 a.m. to get heroin at some random spot in L.A. And it just went on like that for a while. Um, you know, uh, and eventually I had moved back up north, kind of brought her with me and then uh it's like hiding her in my closet. So fucked up from like my family. And then I remember having to get her a Greyhound bus or something to go back to the LAX to get plane to get back home. Or I think actually what we did, I got her a Greyhound ticket to see her aunt who was in California and then she was going to fly out. Uh, but I, uh, I remember the last time seeing her and saying goodbye at the Greyhound it was, it was fucking weird. I didn't realize I, you know, I was the last time I'd see her. I thought I would see her plenty of times after, but then, you know, you get life happens and you get strung out and then get involved with a bunch of other fucking hooligans and 
get work, you know, focused on that. And that happened to me and that happened to her. I, she moved to Chicago eventually and became homeless and was being, was living strung out and homeless in Chicago, dating someone. She had, from what I know, when we kept in touch, she had gotten clean and it was in a halfway house with her new boyfriend. Uh, I remember talking to Carla right before I went to rehab and she was in at an inpatient and she was talking me into getting the same kind of treatment. And I ta- I remember talking to her a little bit while I was in rehab. One of the times I would talk to her, she, you could tell she was on a ser- serious handful of medication, like, like Adderall and this and that and this and that. So she, when she would talk, she was talking like you could tell she was so super high. And when she wasn't, I wouldn't hear from her. She, she did this thing where she would block me on almost everything and then call me on other people's phones. So I had no access to contact her, but I would get a hold of her when I could. And well, last time I did, I was in rehab and what I heard, come to find out is she had moved into an apartment with her boyfriend and a friend and, um, you know, her boyfriend had gotten up at night to use the bathroom and, a few hours later, she went in the bathroom to check on him after she had fallen asleep and woken up, and she saw him overdosed and dead on the toilet. And there was on the ground, you know, an, an extra rig and a couple ten bags of fucking heroin. Well, the dime he did, he fucking killed him because he had relapsed and died. So from the trauma of that, she she took it and hit it. And after the ambulance and police came and dealt with the body, uh, and after the police interrogated her, like, oh, where's the, where's the, actually, there wasn't an extra rig. She told me she pulled the needle out of his arm and the extra bags of heroin and hid it or stashed it away. And so the, you know, the cops obviously knew the scene had been tampered with and they're interrogating her, like, what'd you do with blah, blah, blah? She said she had flushed him, the drugs and stuff. After they left, you know, the, the, the heavy shock of um, her boyfriend, seeing her boyfriend dead of an overdose, like, out of nowhere, kind of hit her so hard she had relapsed and gotten strung out again. And now she was getting super fucking high all the time uh, while I was in rehab, and I talked to her. That was the last time I actually talked to her. And, uh, for, like, currently I don't know where the fuck she is. Um I don't know if she's alive or dead. I don't know how to reach her because I'm blocked on all her things. And uh, it's kind of difficult to even, it's almost impossible to get a hold of her. I want to try and get a hold of her. It'd be cool to get her on the podcast, but I don't know if she thinks too fondly of me. Um, so it's it's hard to say, but yeah, it was just, we we had some amazing times together but we also had some really fucking dark times together like really fucking dark i wouldn't want i don't want to say any of those relationships were like a waste i i had experiences i definitely don't regret but i've definitely made decisions that i regret about how i handled those relationships and a lot of those fucked up things i think may have been necessary for me to take those experiences and learn lessons from them about 
trauma and mental illness and relationships and dealing with that kind of stuff. But I don't know. For some reason, recently that that period really stuck out in my head for this episode. Um, so even though this is like my whatever birthday episode or, so, or whatnot, uh, I want to dedicate kind of this whole thing uh, that just got made to Carla. If you're out there, uh, I miss you. And I hope you're doing, I hope you're alive. Fuck. I really do hope you're alive. And I hope you're doing well. Because it's just crazy how so many of my friends or people I've gone on runs with or partied with and stuff just kind of disappear from your life. You know, if they relapse and go on a run or move and because of it and crazy shit, they just disappear, and there's a lot of people in my life that I really care about, like a lot, even though I haven't talked to them in years, that I just don't know if they're alive or dead, which is kind of the funny thing, is like, this fucking whole podcast, Nod Squad, is in reality, it's such a shitty, dumb, douchey term, like, squad is the stupidest fucking word in fucking, like, ever. This is like so bro mentality, like, oh, this is my squad. But Nod Squad is so stupid because it's like any, there is no group of junkies that hang out and stay friends forever. Like, you, you hang out and you guys get high together and then you run amok and you either go to jail and get mixed up with some other bunch of fuckheads or you, you get out and get a put on program or probation for fucking a year and you lose track with a lot of those people. Um, and don't get high with them anymore. Maybe they get straight after you relapse and you don't see them anymore or this or that or the other. And, uh, yeah, there is no such thing as a fucking squad of fucking junkies, like a nod squad that doesn't exist. You fucking hang out with your group of people that you know, and then you're fucking crazy, you go through crazy life events, and then you shift into this different period of your life, and you either get higher still or you don't, and you meet new, like, fuckheads that you get loaded with, or someone fucks you over. It's like, that shit doesn't last. So, I don't know. Just f- There's a lot of other th- stories that I've, I've wanted to get into, like, yeah, seeing times I've seen dead bodies I've talked about that a few times there's times that you know drivers from my dispensary got robbed at gunpoint in like Redondo Beach and Torrance and stuff and how shady that was uh you know getting you know ripped off for drugs at knife point by some scary fucking homeless skid road dude that was pretty scary but even though that happened that was never nearly as scary as the times I've been like mugged by people with guns who were just like so, who weren't almost, who were just, who would have, I definitely think would have pulled the trigger um, or would have tried um, to kill me. You know, like when I, when I was like robbed for my money trying to buy heroin by some skid row dude by knife point, you could see like there was like a amount of fear and like, desperation in his eyes where it's like I don't want to have to rob you but like I'm living on the streets and I'm so hungry and I'm strung out and I this this is the only way I know you have what I need and I need it 
And so giving it, if, if you give up the money, it's not, it wasn't so scary. So I didn't think someone would like him, especially from his energy and his body language wouldn't go through like trying to kill me afterwards where there's been times where I'd be ripped off or, you know, put in situations by people where I knew very easily they didn't care at all whether my life was existing or not afterwards. After them ripping me off, it was like I was so expendable to them to where that was much more scarier. Usually someone's bark is a lot worse than their bite, but when they have no like bark and they're all bite, that's the scariest shit of all. But shit, we'll get into that in another time. I have to celebrate my birthday. And that's that. So with that, you guys, um, sorry for this one being so dark and weird. I've been, it's been a whole thing trying to restructure or think about how to make these podcasts work. And also with that, this and other creative projects I'm working on, it's just like, it's very strange and different right now. Um, but it's a different weird period in my life. So I think the only thing I can do right now is document it and deal with shit as it comes so hope you're all doing good out there um thanks for everyone who's been checking in you guys are awesome i love you with all my heart and uh i can't wait to get some more interesting episodes out to you uh whatever you've been through i hope you get through it uh on the other side and find your way to a better mental and emotional place and if you're struggling Um, you know, I've said this before and I know I've been shitty at responding to people, but if you need someone to talk to, reach out. Um, I would, I would love to talk to people, anyone who's struggling. I've gone through many struggles myself. So, so anyway, uh, with that said, I'm out of here. Uh, I love you guys and I will see you next time. So. Take care, peace, love, and all the above. I never knew where I was going.